welcome to the Nerd Party. Hello and welcome to Great Shot Kid, the Nerd Party Network's podcast that's all about the creators, almost creators, and inspirations for the Star Wars galaxy. I'm John. And I'm Mike. And this week we are going to be looking at uh, the legendarily overlooked director for Return of the Jedi, the stuff of legend, David Lynch, and the film that he made instead as a space epic, Dune. So, uh, Dune, everybody knows, is uh, Frank Herbert's masterpiece novel that uh, is a landmark of science fiction, uh, used as a touchstone among you know many science fiction authors and creators and filmmakers over time uh and mr herbert just as an historical side note actually um greatly disliked star wars uh because he felt that lucas had liberally stolen from him um so maybe if if mr herbert had been a little more harlan ellison about it he would have sued lucas um who knows yeah. It's just the whole desert planet Messiah coming from it thing was uh, was a little bit too familiar with him. He said, I, I'm trying to remember precisely the number, but he said something like he recognized eight separate points of theft or something like that. <laughs> so Her- Herbert was a little bit salty about Star Wars. So Dune, uh, people have been trying to adapt for a very long time. Uh, in the interim, David Lynch comes on the scene and David Lynch had maybe a, a it depends on what version of the story you hear, but people have been enamored for a very long time of what Return of the Jedi would have been like if David Lynch had been tapped as director instead of Richard Marquand. And so I would, you know, I think that uh, Mike and I were, were both motivated by the fact that Dune is, I think, sort of a window into what Return of the Jedi could have been like had David Lynch directed it. And uh, so I want to ask first, what was your first viewing of Dune? When did you first encounter David Lynch's Dune? All the way through? <laughs> oh, yeah. All the way through. Uh, let's see. What time is it now? Um, oh, you had never finished it before? <laughs> no. See, here's the wow. thing. Um, when I was uh, in high school, uh, you know, I, I frequently was watching the Sci-Fi Channel, and um, the Sci-Fi Channel was pretty good at, you know, showing, like, things which you couldn't really find elsewhere or things which maybe were only available on like special edition laser discs or something like that and they made a really big deal about you know an event which they were which they were going to be showing which was you know David Lynch's Dune extended edition yes letterboxed right mm-hmm. and you tell me extended edition and letterboxed and even though I've never seen the movie in any other form, that's sort of like an an instant hook for me, okay? And I'm like, this is something that I should be watching. You know, you say it's like three hours long or something like that, and I'm like, that's a long movie. It must be great, even though I think Lynch is on record as saying that he does not like the extended cut and that the theatrical cut is the director's cut, but whatever, you know. Mm. Some, something along those lines. So, uh, you know, I didn't know any of that at the time. And I, I started watching. I'm like, hey, you know, Captain Picard's in it. You know, there's some pugs. I'm a big fan of pugs. Um, <laughs> so, you know, this this looks pretty cool. Let's do this. And, you know, I got 
probably about 15, 20 minutes into it, and I'm like, yeah, I think I'm good. I don't think I need to watch any more of this. Interesting. And, you know, as the years have progressed, I, I, I'm not a big David Lynch fan. I've never seen a David Lynch movie, which I've uh, actually liked. Um, not even Blue Velvet? No. I don't like huh. that. I don't I don't like that movie. I don't like Mulholland Drive. Um I I don't like Lost Highway, although I'm Not a lot of people like Lost Highway. I I'm see that's the one that I'm like really like like they just did a David Lynch festival here in Chicago where they showed every single one of his movies and I went to see Mulholland Drive because I figured I need to give that one another shot and it was still not good. Um <laughs> but like Lost Highway is the one that I really regret not seeing again. Um, but I also was regretting not seeing Dune because I, I knew that I would want to watch it before the new movie, which, you know, maybe we can talk about later on comes out. And, mm-hmm. um, the, the, I, I have been watching Twin Peaks recently. I've got one more episode left in season one. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely the best Lynch thing I've seen. And I th- think it's probably good. Probably it, it, it is in fact good. Twin Peaks is in fact good. The okay. middle of season two is really rough. Yeah, but it is it is that. in fact good overall. Okay, well, mostly. well, because of all that, and because I've always sort of thought of Dune as being, in a lot of ways, like David Lynch's Spartacus, you know, and I don't know if I have anything real to base that on. Other than the mm-hmm. fact that it's a massive studio production by a guy who makes weird little fringe movies, you know, yeah. I'm like, why would I bother? In a sense, but uh, I find I it was one of those things I I knew I would always have to see, and there's so much David Lynch synergy going on, not only in the world with the new Twin Peaks, but in my life personally with this Lynch festival, which just occurred mm-hmm. and with me almost by coincidence, just starting to watch. It's not like I started twin peaks now because I, I everyone else is watching and I'm like, well, now is my time. I guess I better watch it. <laughs> like I have this very weird, um, systematic way of watching movies, which I can get into a great length if you want me to, but you probably don't. And, uh, twin peaks is what came up. Just okay. now, coincidentally, you know? So it's like all this stuff. And and that, that movie Lucky, which we were talking about over on Trek FM, is stage nine, which features David Lynch in his largest acting role ever. It's like I cannot get away from David Lynch no matter how hard I try at this particular moment in time, like this past like month or two. It's like a David been, Lynch movie. It is. It is, yeah. actually, in a lot of ways. And so, you know, when you said, well, how about we talk about Dune? I was like, it just makes sense. Let's Interesting. See, I uh, I saw Dune, uh, gosh, probably on VHS many moons ago. And it didn't create too much of an impression other than it was kind of weird. And I wasn't, you know, I think it was one of those things where they rented it. because My parents rented it because they were like, oh, space stuff, Star Wars-y. Okay. And as a kid, I watched it and went, What? What's happening? And I watched it a little bit later, and I had the reaction of, what, what's happening? 
And uh, then I crossed paths around the time you're talking about on Sci-Fi Channel where they were showing the extended cut. I was working for a small local newspaper. And one of the guys who was working there, I think he was a city editor, really good guy. Um, he talked about how he went to the uh, the press screening for it. And we were talking about it. And I was like, yeah, you know, the, I liked the extended cut more because there was more in it. Um, and, I, you know, I thought it made a little bit more sense. It didn't. It didn't feel like a story on fast forward the way that that the theatrical cut does. And um, uh, he said that the press screening, they got, you know, whenever you go to a press screening, you get, you know, background information on stuff. You get additional stuff so you can write about it. And he said it was the biggest booklet he'd ever seen for a press screening in his life. Because it was like a he had, good sign. Always they had a like good sign. full histories of the characters. They had like in this attempt to explain everything. And he said, and at the end of the movie, everybody was still like, what is going on right now coming back and the thing is i like over time my esteem for it sort of rose because i i i you know we all fall into this trap sometimes i think and i definitely do of giving a break to a movie because you saw what the person was attempting and so you're like oh you know i'll, I'll give it a break because i see what he's doing so i i come to it this time with slightly more open eyes and it had in the you know in watching it specifically with this time of how how does this translate to the type of return of the jedi i would have gotten and i think that the biggest lesson with david lynch's dune is that marquand took a little bit of a beating um you know reputa reputation wise for you know sort of just being lucas's vassal on set sort of thing but at the same time, I think Dune shows that it's really, really hard to make something as magically delicious as the Star Wars movies. This was obviously their push to go into that realm. They were like, this is it. This is our Star Wars. This is what Star Wars is in a way based on. This is source material sci-fi fans love. This is our big hit. This is our big epic. And I can only imagine what it felt like for you know, the De Laurentiis group and, you know, the other producers would be sitting in there and seeing, you know, work print or the final cut and just thinking, oh, okay, how are we going to sell this? Mm -hmm. You know, it's one of those things where I just, I, I gave it a break for so many years and just watching it this time, it's, it's a hot mess. It really is. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I'm, I'm going to read this because like I, I know there's a lot of history and a lot of, you know, baggage and everything which comes with this movie and, you know, watching it just now, you know, and, and not having that much time to process, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't crazy. I wanted to make sure that I wasn't going to be going into this podcast sounding like, you know, a total, you know, jackass. So <laughs> so I, I quickly texted my friend and, and uh, co-host Max and mm -hmm. I said, I'm right in thinking that Dune, the movie, is hot garbage, right? <laughs> and he said, speaking to your point, I have very mixed feelings on Dune. I think that ultimately the result is a failure, but a noble effort. And then he went on you know, later to say, the novel is honestly just too complicated for a movie. It's actually almost yes. too complicated for a novel. Yes. Um, and, you know, I mean, I think that that really kind of like speaks to, to your point and... and shows that you're not alone in that I'm glad you know everyone sort of like 
gives it a little bit of a pass for what it's trying to do. And I can certainly see that in some cases. Like, I, I see there being a good, maybe not a good movie, but a good story in there, right? Mm-hmm. But I feel like every choice which is made in the movie makes no sense, you know? Well, the fact that I had, you know, seeing it now after having seen Zardoz also is a very weird experience because that intro with Virginia Madsen Mm -hmm. uh, as Princess Uriolin, you know, giving the narration like she fades out, then she comes back in, then she fades out, then she comes back in. I'm like, make up your mind. Just either talk or don't, okay? Um, And, you know, serving as this very clumsy, ornate, prologue you know again which i think speaks to you know lucas at the very least knew i'm gonna give you three paragraphs and that's all you're gonna need boom you're in go whereas this is her talking for like two minutes like oh by the way yeah i forgot to tell you yeah yeah yeah. oh hey (laughs) those people those that weird looking creature that's important you gotta follow that don't worry trust me on that see you later oh wait 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 and uh have you have you seen zardoz no Zardoz starts with a character you meet later in the movie as a floating head on a, a black background. And like he's seriously, he's like very slow. It's like very slow motion pong where he's bouncing up and down on the screen. You got to see this. And he's basically explaining what you're going to go see. And which is OK. I, you know, I'd say between Zardoz and Dune, I'll watch Dune 100 times before I watch Zardoz again. Is that but, the one where Sean Connery is wearing the yes, thong looking thing? That is. Yes. Okay. He was wearing a red diaper. Don't call it a thong. It's a diaper. Okay. And he uh, basically the the opening reminds me of that now where it's it's this head in space that's telling me and it's like just make them the whole point of making a movie is just telling me the story. Don't have somebody tell me the story before you tell me the story. This is well it goes beyond that because I mean that's like the start of it. But then the thing that they do in this movie where every time it happened which is all the time I was like how could you think that this is a good idea? And that's <laughs> yeah. the you know inner monologue of all the characters? Yeah, that's a problem, isn't it? <laughs> that's I mean, a problem. Look, David Lynch, you know, two things about David Lynch. Two things that I'll say about David Lynch. One, really, really good with visuals. Two, yeah. not at all concerned with people ge- being confused about his movies. That is true. So... Why would you tell everyone what's going on through inner monologue? Uh, well, if I if I uh, if I recall correctly, it's because when they did see it, they they feel like the Virginia Madsen thing was filmed later. It was mm-hmm. they they decided it was too confusing, and so they added a lot of stuff to you know get the point across to the audience. But the inner monologue stuff actually winds up confusing things because somebody will say something and then they'll say something in their head and then they'll say something and then the other characters are finding what they said out loud. And I'm not confused to the point where I'm like, gee, I don't know what's going on. But it's one of these things where it's, it, I think, really speaks to he was relying on the visuals to convey the point. They felt it didn't. So they added that inner monologue stuff. And instead what it winds up doing is the whole movie I'm sitting there thinking – you could really address this in dialogue. You could have people actually say these things to each other or say them out loud while they're 
riding a sandworm or standing on the Rocky Mesa or something like that. And it would make more sense because we're used to that in movies. There's a couple things there. You know, one, you know, when when I went to see Mulholland Drive, and I talked about this on another show, but when I went to see Mulholland Drive, they did like a big pre-show with a lot of interviews with David Lynch and stuff like that. And there was one interview where he did where he talked about the audience being confused. And basically he was saying, you know, maybe the audience is confused, maybe they're not. But I don't really see any reason why the audience should be confused, and I don't really see any reason why you need to spell it out to the audience. I think that the audience will make their own interpretation of what's going on in in most cases, and, you know, it doesn't need to be exact, and it doesn't need to be the same as what the person next to them is, is, you know, experiencing. It can be its own thing. And I think that that approach to Dune would have been much more Lynchian and also probably a lot better, even if yeah. it is more confusing, you know? And I, I, I would love to see a non-monologued cut of Dune. I, I have a feeling it would end up being a much better movie. Probably. And the, the other thing about that is, and this is kind of related in a sense, you know, like I kept on while watching this movie thinking like, what would this be like if, you know, they didn't have these things? How would these scenes play? And obviously they would play a lot better. But I, I've thought about this a lot while watching like TV and stuff like that, especially like, you know, these kind of like, you know, going back and forth between something like, let's say, Breaking Bad and something like, let's say, Friday Night Lights, mm-hmm. which is an extremely well-written show and, you know, well-performed and everything, but, you know, tends to, you know, go into, like, very schmaltzy music and stuff like that on occasion. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it's so weird that movies use score. Like, that's just a weird concept. You know, it's a holdover from something. And I've started, like, while watching things, just as sort of like a, an intellectual exercise or whatever, like, imagining how the scene would play without music. And nine times out of ten, it would be way more interesting. Well, I think that uh, the score thing is very much, I mean, you know, since we're on a podcast, it talks about the, you know, the, the different influences and, and, and stuff that's shot off from Star Wars. I mean, the over-reliance on score, I think, very much comes from people following in the footsteps of of Star Wars and even Spielberg movies yeah, because that's what they do. They use the music to fill in the emotional gaps and basically tell you how to feel mm-hmm. orally. And that that's all well and good because of the type of movies they are. But I agree with you. There are plenty of movies where if you took the score out, it could be very interesting what what happens it's interesting you mentioned score though because something i noticed this time uh with uh you know music by toto if you play the uh the the opening credits music from and the the theme from dune and then listen to the music from scrooged by danny elfman there's an uncomfortable similarity there really yes i invite you to do it as an experiment because i like it's not one-to-one it's not exact but I, as the music came up, I said to myself, oh, my gosh, that's Scrooged. Yeah. That, it's straight up Scrooged. Like the, the way that, and it's really weird. Um, I don't think that it's a conscious 
theft sort of thing, but I definitely think that it's um, it's interesting how that that played out. Uh, so, you know, and and I mean, and with the score, they even had you know, so they had Toto come in and do it, and they had uh, uh, Brian Eno was responsible for the prophecy theme, and then they have uh, Sting as one of the one of the players, and I think that all of those things speak to Lynch's original impulses. And so I come back to Lucas, you know, with Marquand, with uh, Kirshner, he let them bring in their own crew in terms of cinematography and editing. He said, these directors, this is who they work with. This is who they're going to be comfortable with. He did not force anybody on any, you know, on anyone. So Lynch, taking a look at this, what do you think we end up with? With Return of the Jedi, I don't think he makes it through the project. I mean, I look at this; I don't think Lynch makes it through Return of the Jedi. I think he's fired in pre-production. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think. He, I mean, realistically speaking, I think he'd probably leave in pre-production as well. But let's say that he did start filming. I think probably what he does is he puts together his cut of the movie, and it's really, really weird and really, really unlike the other two movies in the trilogy. And, you know, a lot of the things like the effects and stuff in this one, I think, you know, would be obviously much better because you've got ILM, you know, doing, putting all their resources into it. And I think that, you know, probably a lot of the stuff which he was sort of envisioning in Dune would be like better realized, you know, in in Jedi, that kind of thing. Um, But I think that uh, definitely there, there would have been... Uh, a conflict between Lynch's vision and Lucas's vision. And I think probably what would have ended up happening was Lynch would have left the project. Lucas would have gone back in, probably reshot a whole bunch of stuff himself, re-edited the movie and basically did what happened with Marquand, you know, to a large degree, only to a much larger degree. Right. And I think in the end, the movie would have been a lot worse than what we got. Uh, But there would also be this, you know, never seen cut of the movie, the Lynch cut, which, while probably not very good, would probably be thought of as this sort of like missing cinematic gem that, you know, some people, if they were to see it, would think was easily the best Star Wars movie ever made. So what did what did you see in this that would have recommended Lynch for Return of the Jedi? Because obviously they had at least a phone call with him. There was did you ever hear this story? Of their uh, meeting? <laughs> see the yes, the it's recounted in the making of Return of the Jedi. And, is it okay? Yeah, and Lynch's telling of it, and I'm you know I'm paraphrasing here is basically they sat down and they talked, and at the end they were both like, eh, yeah, no, this isn't really good. Yeah, I, I've heard like a, a, I guess a bit more of a I don't know maybe, maybe slightly less refined version from Lynch. Okay. Where he talks about how he went and he's like, he had to go all the way and they met for lunch and he sits down with George Lucas and, and Lucas orders a salad and he's like, who eats salad for lunch? What's with these people? What's with these Hollywood people? I do <laughs> yeah. not understand this culture at all. I cannot make a movie with them. And then that's why it ended up not happening. 
<laughs> who knows how much of that is true, you know, and everything like that. But I, I could see it. I could see that. Well, I think that there, I think that there's a little bit of a, uh, um, that there's like a Kaiser Soze thing in there. There's a grain of truth in there. Yeah. I don't think that was the only thing. I think that they had a pleasant conversation mm-hmm. and probably in the back of Lynch's mind the whole time of, yeah, I'm not surprised it's going this way. He eats a salad. You yep. know, something like that. So you know, I mean, like, because what he had just made, Elephant Man, right? Yes. Which, uh, like that that one Best Picture, right? And I don't oh, recall if it did. And and that was the year that Empire came out. You know, I mean, obviously, what it was it was a success. And and you you look at like the choice with well Marquand and Kirshner. It's like Lucas wasn't going after the big blockbuster directors at the time he was going after you know sort of like the the lower budgeted filmmakers who made like really strong character pieces and not necessarily bombastic you know action movies although the legacy i don't know i said we we covered that uh if if anybody wants to go back to our, our our back catalog we did cover the legacy by richard marquand and I don't know. It's still puzzling to me. I, I like that movie, but he also did like Eye of the Needle, right, and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, he had done some other stuff, which was pretty acclaimed, I think. And I think he came from television too, if I'm not mistaken. So there was all that stuff as well. Well, but, I mean, and Lucas's very obvious and plainly stated desire was he wanted somebody that would go out and collect the stuff and you know bring it back to him. And then he knew that a lot of it was going to be done in editing. And he had had a, uh, you know, not great experience on Empire because it didn't go the way he wanted it to. And so he wanted to get somebody in who would be able to, you know, do the work that he wanted done. You know, that, that sort of thing. Now, before anybody takes that as a negative, Return of the Jedi is actually my favorite of the original trilogy. Um, I know that, you know, there are those who agree and those who disagree with me, but... You know, just remember any any uh, criticism that I offer about the process with Jedi, I think that the end result wound up very good. So I don't think it would have wound up very good with Lynch, but I, I did note, like looking at it, that a lot of his approaches to uh, shooting, the types of shots that he used, would have worked pretty well uh, in the Star Wars, uh, you know, visual ove, uh, yeah. as it were. There were times where I was like, oh, that looks like something straight out of Jedi, you know? Yeah. Um, but there were also things where I was like, yeesh, you know, like a lot of the, the character design, a lot of the costume design I thought was, yeah. you know, really ridiculous. And the everything. still suits were cool. The the, the still the, suits, the, the suits that the Fremen wear that uh, that collect the body water? Uh, con- conceptually, they were cool, but they looked kind of ridiculous. I mean, and part of it, I, I don't know, cool. maybe part of this is just the idea of like seeing, you know, k- kind of like a Last Temptation of Christ thing where it's like, why is Harvey Keitel, you know, d- d- hanging out with Jesus? You know, that sort of thing. Yeah. But like when you see like um, Dean Stockwell with yeah. like a crazy triangle on his head and everything Diamond. like that. It's just Diamond, like, the sign of imperial conditioning. This is, this is weird, guys. Like, why is, you know, hey, Al from Quantum Leap doing this stuff, you know? Hey, well, I mean, Dean he Stockwell wasn't. was, uh, you know, sort of a Lynch guy uh, for some time, wasn't he? I guess so, yeah, because there's a lot, like I saw a lot of people. Yeah, Jack from Nance Twin, is in there. There's a lot of people um, from Twin Peaks in this, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but but I mean, Lynch used a lot of the same people over mm-hmm. time. You know yeah. that 
you know, were in Blue Velvet as well, and Jack Nance was in Eraserhead and, and stuff like that. Kyle MacLachlan, this is obviously the film where Lynch basically falls in love with him mm-hmm. uh, as an actor. And uh, but uh, you know, of course, we'd be uh, <laughs> yeah to mention the Captain Picard's in there. Yeah, as he Gurney is. Halleck. And what what's so interesting is the only thing I I can think of is have you read Dune? No, I haven't. Okay, Dune is is a magnificent book. And to to speak to a point you made uh, previously, Dune I think is a lot like Watchmen. Every attempt to adapt it onto the screen is going to be a failure specifically because it's perfect for its medium. Yeah. It is not meant to exist. In, it was it was written to its medium. It was not meant to exist as another thing. Yeah. Um, it I can't. can see that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, the, there's uh, Gurney Halleck, the character that Stewart plays. He plays him well. He does. He, get, he gets the essence of the character in there. But, like... It must have been tough for Stewart to be cast as Gurney Halleck because in the book he's basically described as like a walking scar, you know, like he is. And I, for Lynch not to to have realized Baron Harkonnen as this big pussy mess, you know, with the skin condition and the floating and all of that stuff, and then not commit to Gurney Halleck looking more grizzled and war torn, like was so so odd. Like that that actually jumps out to me because. It seems like Lynch is more uh, more comfortable realizing the Harkonnens than he is realizing the other stuff, mm-hmm. you know? Like, And Bob Ringwood does the costumes, and so like, I think you can see a lot of Ringwood in the, the, the way the still suits are and, you know, a lot of the, the ornate uh, stuff, you know, in, in the, the Padishah Emperor's court. But I think that the... Like the Lynch stuff is the Harkonnens, is the Spice Guild, is the Sardaukar. Those sort. Well, although I mean, I guess there's a lot of Ringwood to that too. But um, you know, like it's just one of those things where it's like I think that Lynch almost it, the vibe I get is like Lynch would have been happier just making a movie just about the Harkonnens and not doing it about the whole big universe here. Yeah. So no, that that could be that could be. Um, to just to to speak to your point about adaptation or whatever, I know that they did that sci sci fi channel miniseries. Yeah, which I know they were saying like this is going to be closer to the book. It it, it didn't work. Uh, it was okay. I had a lot of friends that went nuts for it. I never finished it because I was kind of like, eh. I mean, I, I just really, I mean, Dune. I love that book. It's yeah. amazing. It's also crazy because it needs a glossary. It yeah. uses so many terms that if, like, and the glossary's in the back. So the first time I read it, it was a huge pain in the ass because I'm like, wait, what's that again? Flip, 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 flip. Mm-hmm. Okay, that. Flip, 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 flip. And it's just, it, I mean, wow. You know, to, to be that that inventive to, to come up with stuff and use terminology that needs its own glossary and explanation. You know, I mean, he really was sort of of the Tolkien school yeah. where everything was so imagined and realized and it's you know so basically to you know to that point well why could you make the lord of the rings movies and that's because that book because it was written as one book was split up into three books and so you can sort of mentally break it down into what story beat belongs where whereas dune the first book itself could be three movies 
mm-hmm. and there's no but there's no good ending point like with with fellowship of the ring the two towers and return of the king those all have good ending points to them whereas dune itself you know you have the ending and lynch borrows liberally but okay to, to, so to bring it to wrap it all up you would not recommend people see this or would you recommend people to see this strictly out of like historical curiosity no i don't think it's that interesting <laughs> you don't I, think it's, I, wor- I would, you don't think it's worth watching people to see this what okay no yeah. i don't think it's worth watching either but what i struggle with is like the the whole story of david lynch directing return of the jedi is so legendary and people have been obsessed about it for decades mm-hmm. that it's almost one of those things where if somebody were to come to me and they hadn't seen dune and they said well yeah did you hear about david lynch i'd be like go watch dune yeah okay get it over with and understand he wouldn't have been a good fit yeah uh but i think you could pick that up like watching the first 15 minutes like i did you know when i was okay. in high school or whatever <laughs> i will Fair say enough. that i am looking forward to the new one you know even though i it sounds like adapting it would be a task uh but you know the team that they've got in place is is pretty solid. It's Denise Villeneuve directing. He he did Arrival and Sicario. Denis, I found out how his first Denis? name is pronounced. Is it's Denis Denis? Okay, Denis Villeneuve, and uh, uh, it's it's being written by Eric Roth, who he he wrote Forrest Gump and uh, the. Curious case of Benjamin Button, but he also wrote a, a number of good movies too, like uh, The Insider. Hey, and hey, Benjamin Button was a good movie, and so was Forrest Gump. Those that's not no, those that's not an accurate statement at all. Why are you going to start this argument? I Why? didn't start the argument. I was you just stating it. facts. You're the one You're who not stating with any them. facts whatsoever. Okay. You're stating crazy conspiracy theories. I think that we could probably prove that both Forrest Gump and Curious Case of Benjamin Button are not good. I think I if, think I think we, if we were to put that, you know, under like some sort of scientific test, we could prove it. Put it on trial? You yeah. want to put it on trial? Fine. Fine. Okay. We'll put it on trial. You can reach out to us at the nerdparty.com <laughs> slash contact and you can drop a line to Great Shot Kid and you can let us know how wrong Mike is about Forrest Gump and the curious case of Benjamin Button. Maybe you can maybe, also, maybe maybe it'd be mm-hmm. good for filibuster to do that on, you know? Ooh, I think that's a good plan. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The uh one of our sister shows here on the network, the filibuster. We could uh No, it's just a, filibuster. Oh, that's right, filibuster. <laughs> I, you know, I it's like roll it's like I always get confused. Is it Rolling Stones or the Rolling Stones? I can't remember. And I'm a I'm a fan, so whatever. Yeah. yeah. Uh but uh you can also reach out to us on Twitter at join nerd party and you can reach out to us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash the nerd party. And uh, we post all of our shows there, and you can you know comment on the shows, and also tell Mikey's nuts there. Uh, but uh, those are the places they can reach us uh, officially. Uh, Mike, where can they reach you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K, and you can also find me on TalkFilmSociety.com. Uh, doing a show called Soderbergh 2828, where we look at all of Steven Soderbergh's movies. Talk Film Society, they have been doing tons of Lynch stuff over the past uh, couple weeks, so head on over there if you're a Lynch fan. And uh, you can also find me on CommentaryTrackStars.com, doing a show called Commentary Trackstars, where recently we, we discussed... Um, the, the Lynch uh, Festival that I attended, if you uh, find an episode on there called uh, Lamp Building, which is a David Lynch reference, <laughs> uh, you can hear me uh, discuss my thoughts on Lynch in greater detail. 
And you can also find me on Trek.fm doing a show called Stage 9 with you. Yes, with me. Uh, We're over on Trek.fm doing Stage 9, which is exploring the work and influences of Star Trek creators. Uh, You can find me co-hosting back here on the Nerd Party Network, Aggressive Negotiations with Matthew Rushing, which is a Star Wars podcast of a slightly different vein. And you can find me co-hosting Words with Nerds with my pal Craig. And when I'm not doing those things, you can find me online as Kessel Junkie. Now, we have gone through David Lynch's Dune and come out the other side. And what we promise you on the horizon is next week, we will be taking a look at the eight-issue comic book series from Dark Horse Comics, The Star Wars, based on an early draft of George Lucas's 1977 classic film written by J.W. Rinsler. 